Thank you for tuning into this episode of Think Back, Insights into Axial Spondyloarthritis. This podcast is sponsored by Novartis U.S. Medical Affairs. The speakers have been compensated for their time. This program is intended for healthcare professionals. Welcome to this episode of the Think Back, Insights into Axial Spondyloarthritis podcast. I am Dr. Riki Joshi, a rheumatology specialist in Beaumont, Texas. I am also a patient of ankylosing spondylitis for the last several years and have created a spondyloarthritis-focused practice in my hometown. Besides AES, I have experience in treatment and diagnosis of osteoporosis, arthritis, and other conditions. I'm also affiliated with United Rheumatology, a local chapter leader for Association of Women in Rheumatology, and I'm active in AS-focused advocacy through CSRO. And I'm Dr. Ethan Craig. I'm a rheumatologist at the University of Pennsylvania with expertise in spondyloarthritis. I published on several of the topics discussed in this podcast, um, as well as patient reported outcomes in spondyloarthritis and practical assessment of disease activity in these diseases. Welcome. On today's episode of Think Back, Insights into Axial Spondyloarthritis, we will be talking about Axial Spondyloarthritis, or AXPA for short, and the peripheral symptoms that can help you diagnose AXPA patients. Dr. Craig, let's start today's discussion by describing AXPA and its subtypes for our listeners. So AXPA is a chronic immune-mediated inflammatory condition, and it falls on the, under the broader umbrella of a spondyloarthritis. AXPA is actually approximately as common as rheumatoid arthritis, affecting about 0.5 to 1% of the U.S. population. And it can be divided into two subtypes, that is ankylosing spondylitis, or radiographic AXPA, and non-radiographic AXPA. Dr. Joshi, could you provide a bit of an overview of what distinguishes ankylosing spondylitis from non-radiographic AXPA? Yes. In AS, also known as radiographic AXPA, there is evidence of structural damage in the sacroiliac joints, which can be detected through radiography or plain x-rays. In non-radiographic AXPA, we do not see these changes on x-rays. However, in non-radiographic AXPA, we may see inflammatory lesions in the sacroiliac joints on MRI scans. In the absence of MRI findings, the presence of HLA-B27 or the human leukocyte antigen B27 gene would also be grounds for further assessment of non-radiographic AXPA. To be diagnosed with AXPA according to the ASAS classification criteria, Assessment in Spondyloarthritis International Society classification criteria, patients must also have other clinical features. For patients with AS, one or more other clinical feature must be present, and for patients with non-radiographic AXPA, two or more other spondyloarthritis features must be present. So for the audience at home, throughout today's episode of Think Back, we'll use a couple of patient cases to illustrate where peripheral AXPA symptoms may be an important tool to guide timely referral and diagnosis of this disease. So Dr. Joshi, who's our first patient? Our first patient is Damien. Damien is a 41-year-old probation officer. He has a complex history including HLA-B27 gene positivity as well as Crohn's disease. 
Damien also presents with knee pain and chronic back pain over the last four years. He was highly athletic in high school and college, and his physician has diagnosed him with chronic ankle instability. Interestingly, a review of his family history reveals that his mother has AS. Before we can look into Damien's possible diagnosis, how about we review the spondyloarthritis features that the clinicians should be on the lookout for? Absolutely. So the spondyloarthritis features are those included in the ASAS criteria for classification of, of spondyloarthritis. And the ones we're most interested in are inflammatory back pain, which is defined as back pain that's associated with prolonged morning stiffness, improvement with exercise, lack of improvement with rest, and pain that awakens patients uh, late at night or in the early morning. It also tends to be a gradual onset and has an onset earlier in, of earlier age, uh, typically before the age of 45. We also see peripheral arthritis, uh, which typically manifests as asymmetric oligoarthritis involving two or four joints in contrast to the polyarthritis seen in uh, processes like rheumatoid arthritis. We especially see involvement of the hip, knee, and ankle, but in about 20% of patients with AS, there's involvement of the hip and shoulder joints. Uh, we see joint swelling with this, erythema, and prolonged morning stiffness to suggest inflammatory causes. We also see dactylitis, which is reported by about 6% of ACSPA patients and manifests with uh, sausage-like swelling of the fingers or toes. In addition to these, we see enthesitis, a family history of spondyloarthritis, a good response to non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, uveitis, psoriasis, inflammatory bowel disease, HLA-B27 positivity, and often elevated C-reactive protein. So in returning to Damien's story, it seems that he has several spa features. These would include inflammatory bowel disease, HLA-B27 positivity, as well as a family history. Upon further history, the knee pain might provoke a diagnosis of inflammatory arthritis, whereas some of his symptoms like the chronic ankle instability may be mechanical. So as a surprise, since Damien's last visit, he now has begun to develop some pain in the heel and foot. So Dr. Joshi, now why should we as clinicians be paying particularly close attention to these specific symptoms? So Damien's symptoms, including the pain in the heel, may indicate that he's experiencing enthesitis. And enthesitis is thought to be the holy grail of ankylosing spondylitis. History of enthesitis was reported by 29% of AS patients and 35% of non-radiographic AXPOP patients. Enthesitis is a more specific term than tendinitis. Enthesitis refers to the insertional sites of the tendon or the ligaments which can get inflamed, whereas tendinopathy can refer to any part of the tendon. Enthesitis typically affects the lower extremities, most frequently the heel. It presents as pain or stiffness with tenderness to palpation at common insertional sites, such as Achilles tendon and plantar fascia insertions into the calcaneus, the patellar and the quadriceps tendon insertions into the tibial tubercle and patella. This may be one of the first symptoms that occurs in spa. And notably, when we're looking at inflammation, specifically at a tendon insertional point, it may be difficult to differentiate between enthesitis and other conditions that could result in pain or swelling in the posterior ankle or hind foot. 
So when in doubt, MRI or ultrasound would help further investigate this. Now, Damien's symptom, including this pain in the heel, may indicate that he is experiencing enthesitis. So to return to the spondyloarthritis features, clinicians should be on the lookout for. Dr. Joshi, could you please tell us a little bit more about some of these extra articular symptoms of axial spondyloarthritis? Sure. So uveitis is quite common among patients with axpa. About 30 to 40% of patients with AS report acute anterior uveitis throughout their lifetime. Usually the attacks are unilateral, they're abrupt and characterized by photophobia, pain, visual impairment, and severe circumlimbal hyperemia. These do require urgent attention and a good interaction between the ophthalmologist and the treating rheumatologist. There is also an association between inflammatory bowel disease or IBD and SPA. IBD occurs between 6 to 14% of patients and conversely, 10 to 39% of patients with IBD have SPA features. Sacroiliitis is found in 10 to 30% of patients with SPA, and psoriasis is reported by more than 10% of patients with SPA. So it seems to accrue disease burden throughout a spectrum of the eyes, the tendon insertion sites, the colon, the skin. So to summarize, uh, uveitis, enthesitis, and peripheral arthritis are some of the more common clinical features of XSPA. But now the big question is, how can awareness of these features be used by primary care providers in their clinical practice to pick up these patients? So one of the challenges that we encounter in XSPA is the diagnostic delay. Diagnostic delay in XSPA in common with an, is an average delay of diagnosis ranging from six to eight years compared to rheumatoid arthritis, where it may be nine months to a year. Awareness of these clinical features by primary care providers can help get the patients referred to a rheumatologist. This is important because the early diagnosis and management of this disease can help prevent the progression of disease and alleviate patient burden. Now let's talk about another patient where we can illustrate peripheral AXPA symptoms, which may also be important tools to guide this timely referral and diagnosis. So let's talk about Amelia. Amelia is a 23-year-old journalist who was referred to an ophthalmologist after she developed complaints of photophobia, pain, blurry vision, and redness in her left eye. Amelia received a diagnosis of acute anterior uveitis, and she was also diagnosed with inflammatory bowel disease. And now, over the last year or so, has been experiencing low back pain with substantial component of morning stiffness. So in Amelia's case, the uveitis can be a warning signal and one of the SPA features that can be used for the AXPA diagnosis. And additionally, her IBD, though seemingly unrelated to the uveitis, marks a second SPA feature. Another point of interest is her chronic low back pain, and she seems to meet the definition of the inflammatory back pain as discussed earlier. So we talked a little bit about how peripheral features can contribute to identifying uh, AXPA in primary practice. Dr. Joshi, how about we uh, share how you, could, how you recommend primary care providers ensure that they're screening appropriately for AXPA in their clinical practice? Several referral strategies have been developed for AXPA. And one of these is the Berlin referral strategy. This is a tool that primary care providers can use to select 
patients, they refer to a rheumatologist for further evaluation. According to the Berlin Referral Strategy Tool, they should receive a referral if they have chronic low back pain for more than three months, age of onset of back pain is 45 years or less, and they have one of the following three features, sacroiliitis on x-rays or MRIs, HLA-B27 gene positivity, or inflammatory back pain as discussed previously. Besides the Berlin referral strategy, there are other criteria available to guide practitioners. These are discussed in further detail in another episode of the Think Back podcast. So I guess that brings us to the point where we talk about our take-home messages. Dr. Joshi, could you give our listeners a final take-home message from this episode of Think Back? The key takeaway from our discussion today is that it's important for primary care practitioners to be aware of the peripheral manifestations of AXPA as they can help facilitate timely and appropriate diagnosis and management of patients with AXPA in their practice. How about you, Dr. Craig? A key takeaway for me is really the importance of recognizing features of inflammatory back pain and screening patients for them. And then using a diagnostic referral tool that reflects these features to help to identify these patients early and get them to care with a rheumatologist. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Think Back Insights into Axial Spondyloarthritis podcast. Other episodes of Think Back feature further information about AXPA, its symptoms differentiating inflammatory back pain from mechanical back pain, referral tools, diagnostic challenges, and sex differences. Thank you.